Hello, people. Welcome to episode 91 of the Conspiracy 420. And uh, we have a special show today for Black History Month. And it's six myths about the history of Black people in America. And uh, Rock and Mike, what do you dig up so far? How you doing, Rob? I'm pretty good. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was doing some reading one day online and um, I came across this article in Vox.com, uh, VoxVox.com. And it's from about two years ago, February 18th of 2020. Um, and it, it the article is actually called Six Myths About the History of Black People in America. And I was reading this and it was very interesting because there's a lot of stuff out there that people believe happened and didn't happen. And there's a lot of myths and urban legends mixed in kind of with the truth. And I feel that related to these six things that we're going to talk about, I think it's important to, to talk about them because it's, it's, it's his number one, it's historical. Number two, it's, it, it really clarifies the situation. And, and it's most of these were pretty lousy situations for African-Americans in this country uh, dealing with slavery and, even the Revolutionary War and the uh, the Civil War and uh, experiments done on black people and things like that. We're going to get into all that. Um, but I, I feel that uh, it, it just was a kind of important to talk about these six things. And it was an article written by uh, Jessica Machado and Karen Turner. They spoke to uh, six different historians and they gave their take on on these issues. So I can go into it whenever you're ready. So let's start with uh, myth number one. Okay. Uh, myth number one is that enslaved people didn't have money. Okay. You know, some people picture slavery and, you know, that just nobody had money. Everybody was just a slave. Okay. Now, in reality, enslaved people were money. You, were, you had a value. Their bodies and, and labor were the capital that fueled the country's founding and wealth. Okay. But many slaves had money as well. Okay. And slave people actively participated in the informal and formal market economy. They saved money, earned from overwork, from hiring themselves out, and through independent economic activities with banks, local merchants, and their enslavers as well. Um, Elizabeth Keckley, she was a seamstress for Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Uh, she made the dresses for Abraham Lincoln's wife and they're all on display at the Smithsonian Institute. If you ever want to see them, um, she supported her entire enslavers family and still earned enough to pay for her freedom. Okay. Now free and enslaved uh, what were called market women dominated local marketplaces, including, uh, including in Savannah and Charleston, South Carolina, uh, controlling networks that crisscrossed the countryside. They ensured fresh supplies of fruits, vegetables, and eggs for the markets, as well as a steady flow of cash to enslaved people. Some whites described these women as disorderly or loose and that was basically to criticize their actions as unacceptable behavior for ladies. But white people of all classes depended on them for survival. And, you know, these were people right in the marketplace. They were slaves and they were earning money. OK, yeah, you, you know what? That's one thing people don't talk about a lot. There were some of these slaves that they did get paid something. It was it was like it was very low label, but a lot of them were able to buy the freedom or some of them would just save up to send some of the kids to school. It, it was a weird time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it also depended on where you were. And, yeah. uh, you know, some states were more lenient than others. Uh, you know, there's so many stories about, uh, for instance, in like New Orleans, how the slaves were allowed to meet one day a week. Uh, usually on Sunday and, you know, they could all congregate and hang out with each other and stuff. So it, it, every place was different, but it says here, in fact, enslaved people also created financial institutions, especially mutual aid societies. Eliza Allen helped form at least three secret societies for women on her own 
and nearby plantations in Petersburg, Virginia. One of her societies was called the Sisters of Usefulness, and it could have as many as two or three dozen members. Cities like Baltimore even passed laws against these societies, which was a sure sign of, of, of their popularity. But other cities reluctantly tolerated them, requiring that a white person be present at these meetings. Enslaved people, however, found creative ways to conduct their societies under white people's noses. Often the treasurer's ledger listed members by numbers only. So in case they ever, you know, got jammed up, people, people yeah. would, you know, they wouldn't know who they were. It was just a number. Now, during the Civil War, hundreds of thousands of black people sought refuge behind Union lines. Most were impoverished, but a few managed to bring with them wealth they had stashed under beds and private chests and other hiding places where they were living. After the war, black people fought through the Southern Claims Commission for the return of the wealth Union and Confederate soldiers impounded or even sometimes stole. Okay. So yeah. there, there was kind of like, I guess you could say like a, a, a black market in a way, you know, among the, the slaves. Okay. Uh, and also they, they practiced in the, in the, in the formal market. Okay. That was out there. They, they were allowed to, you know, sell their goods or, or whatever. It's, it's strange. You no, know, I mean, the, the idea is that people were just working on the plantation enslaved and never left. And, and, and that wasn't true, you know, so that's myth one. Now myth two goes back to the revolutionary war and it's that black revolutionary soldiers were patriots. Okay. There's sometimes there's a, an idea that the black revolutionary soldiers were fighting for the, uh, the freedom of the country, the, the independence of the country to break us away from Britain. It's not exactly true. Maybe some felt that way, but in reality, it was for a different reason. Now it says much is made about how colonial black Americans, some free, which would be from the North, some enslaved fought during the American revolution. Black revolutionary soldiers are usually called black patriots, but the term patriot is often reserved within revolutionary discourse to refer to the men of the 13 colonies who believed in the ideas expressed in the Declaration of Independence, which is that America should be an independent country free from Britain. Yeah. These persons were willing to fight for that cause. They would join the Continental Army and for their sacrifice are forever considered patriots. That's why the term black patriot is a myth because it, it infers that black and white revolutionary soldiers fought for the same reasons. First off, black revolutionary soldiers did not fight out of a love for a country that enslaved and oppressed them. Now, you know, maybe some free ones did. I, I you know, I would think that maybe there were some free ones that, that had an interest and maybe they, they, you know, believe that the country should be, free from Britain. But as far as the ones in the South that were slaves, I, I, I wouldn't expect them to be like, oh yeah, you know, America, you know? So black revolutionary soldiers were fighting for freedom, not for America, but for themselves and the race as a whole. In fact, the American Revolution is a case study of what's called interest convergence. Interest convergence denotes that within racial states, such as the 13 colonies, and progress made for blacks can only be made if it also benefits the white dominant culture. In this yeah. case, the liberation of the white colonists from Britain. So in other words, black people would benefit if, if the white people benefited too. That's called interest convergence. In other words, colonists' enlistment of black people was not out of some moral mandate, but based on manpower needs to win the war. Okay. In 1775, a lot of people don't know this one. In 1775, Lord Dunmore, a royal governor of Virginia who wanted to quickly end the war, issued a proclamation to free enslaved black people if they defected from the colonies and fought for the British army. And many did. Okay? Wow. 
In response, George Washington revised the policy that restricted black persons, free or enslaved, from joining his Continental Army. His reversal was based in a convergence of interests, competing with a growing British military, securing the slave economy, and increasing labor needs for the Continental Army in general. When enslaved persons left the plantation, this caused serious social and economic unrest in the colonies. These defections were encouragement for many white plantation owners to join the patriotic cause, even if they previously held reservations against it. So Washington also saw other benefits in black enlistment. White revolutionary soldiers only fought for three to four months at a time. Okay, and then they would go back home. But many black soldiers could fight for longer terms. So the need for the black soldier was essential for the war effort. And the need to win the war became greater than any racial ideology that was out there. Yeah. So interests converged with those of black revolutionary soldiers as well. Once the American colonies promised freedom, about a quarter of the Continental, Continental Army became black. Before that, more blacks defected to the British military for a chance at freedom. So, you know, once the British Army did it, they, they went over there. But then once the Continental Army did it, even more went over to that. So black revolutionary soldiers understood the stakes of the war and realized that they could also benefit and leave bondage. As historian Gary Nash has said, the black revolutionary soldier can best be understood by realizing that his major loyalty was not to a place, not to a people, but to a principle. To a principle, yeah. Right. Now, black people played a dual role. Service with the American forces and fleeing to the British, both for freedom. The notion of the black patriot is a misused term. In many ways, while the majority of the whites were fighting in the American Revolution, black revolutionary soldiers were fighting for the African-Americans revolution, in a sense. Okay? Really what they were looking for was freedom. I guess that's what they were all, you know, they all, of course, anybody that's in there was looking for freedom, you know? Well, the white, you know, the whites were freedom from, from tyranny from England. Yeah. And then the blacks were just open to opening to get freedom out of it. You know, what's interesting is, um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, when he was writing the declaration of independence, he seriously considered, and he almost did it to, abolish slavery right there wow okay and you know he discussed it with uh, the other founding fathers and and you know they talked about it and they came to the conclusion that it might be too much too soon in other words if they had done that and you know jefferson had freed his slaves uh yeah i think even before he was president he had done that uh but when he wrote the Declaration of Independence, the, the idea of, of, of freeing all the slaves in the South would have upset the economy too much. Because, you know, you want to hear something. There were a lot of um, a lot of the people that helped build the country, especially after um, the American Revolution. You had a bunch of black that people don't even talk about. They were doing a lot yeah. of stuff to, to making houses, fixing stuff. So... That's what I mean. Like the thing with the slave, there were there were people that had, there were black people that had slave at that time. Oh well, oh yeah, that's a whole other subject. Is there were so black slave owners? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. yeah. Had, no, I mean, it's 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 not widely discussed, but it's true. Okay, there there were black slave owners. Not to make light of slavery, it's just it's just no. it was part of it was part of the economy of 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 the country and the world. We weren't even a country. Okay, at that point, we we were England. We were just a colony yeah. of England. We yeah. were you know, the, 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 no one was walking around saying we're Americans. Let's break away yeah. from England. They didn't even have the idea of what to call it yet. Okay, yeah, but it wasn't, you know, I think in the Declaration of Independence it says these United States of America. Yeah, I, you know, they didn't call it that before that. So you know, the idea that it, it, it was America is not true either, but. 
you know, you can't, you cannot uh, disregard the uh, the uh, imprint of, of of the slaves and black people, free blacks, in the building of this country. You can't, you can't rule that out. That's you'd be totally, totally wrong. But the problem, you know, what it was with slavery, it was almost like uh, people needed it for economical reason to make yes. to you know to farm to do this to construction. So they, they, they put on the people, but at the same time, there was blacks, you know, at that time, like blacks, whites, whatever you had at the time, they, everybody owned slaves. Well, I mean. Especially uh, it, if you had a business to, you know, to work uh, a farming or something, or or you had a business that, that, that some, were making people, like textile, everybody was yeah. using. So, some you know, people only had, some people only had five or six slaves. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the impression you always get is like you have the, you know, the plantation owner with 500 slaves that that it wasn't the case. But and some of those slaves did get paid, believe it or not. Yes, they did. And then they often would they often would sell their own work. They would they would they, they maybe they had a trade. OK, or yeah. they were good. They were good at working in. Uh, a carpentry, for instance, so they would go work somewhere else and get paid, and sometimes they were allowed to keep that money. Okay, yeah, a lot of them, you know? a lot of them were guys yeah. that they were carpenters. There was skilled. There was a lot of blacks and, at that time that was skilled. In, in, in doing so, in doing so, they they participated in the formal economy at the beginning of the country. Okay, yeah. it's, it's without a doubt, you know, but it, it's it's a very. I wish I have a you know just a personal wish that we could come together as a country and have a discussion. Congress should do it. Have, have a discussion on slavery and explain it the real way it was from the, from the getting the slaves in Africa, how that happened, how they got over here, what happened and how they were treated and how they, you know, what they could do, what they couldn't do, their accomplishments, you know, I, I really feel that it's it's misunderstood by so many people. You know, I, I, I don't even understand it 100 percent. I mean, it really it really it's it was such a complicated, you know, uh, in-depth, ingrained thing into the economy of the world. Even if you think about it, England was like a superpower and, and they had slave labor. Now, they. They had slavery even in uh, in England up until like I don't know if it was like the 16 or 1700s, 1700s maybe. They actually had it in England, okay, and then they they abolished it, but they kept it in the colonies, you know. So there was kind of like a a movement already, you know, to to stop it, but. It just took a, a, you know, even after the after the Declaration of Independence in 1776, it took another 90 years almost to free the slaves. And you, you know, know what's another thing? A lot of times those slaves were also the people cooking in the house, doing all kind of stuff. They, they you know what, yeah. they were like, they did, a, they did a lot of stuff that people really are like, oh, you know what? It's like, but you know what? These guys were, they were working. They were, they, they had the days that, you know, it, it was a weird, it was very weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it just was part of the lifestyle, you know. Yeah. It, was, it was it was part of the the way of life back then. It's we can't comprehend it, but it, that's what it was. All right, so we're up to myth three. Now, myth three is that black men were injected with syphilis in the Tuskegee experiment. Okay, now this is a dangerous myth that continues to haunt black Americans. It's this belief that the government infected 600 black men in Macon County, Alabama with syphilis and then continued to do tests on them for 40 years after that. That's not what happened exactly. Okay. Now, this myth has created generations of African-Americans with a healthy distrust of the American medical profession. While these men were not injected with syphilis, their story does illuminate an important truth, and that is Americans medical, America's medical past is steeped in racialized terror and the exploitations of black people. Okay, The Tuskegee study 
of untreated syphilis in the Negro male emerged from a study group formed in 1932 connected with the venereal disease section of the U.S. Public Health Service. The purpose of the experiment was to test the impact of syphilis left untreated and was conducted at what is now Tuskegee University, which is a historically a, a black university in Macon County, Alabama. The 600 black men in the experiment were not given syphilis. Okay. 399 men already had stages of the disease and the 201 who did not served as the control group in the experiment. Both groups were withheld from treatment of any kind for the 40 years that they were observed. This is from 1932 to 1972. The men were subjected to humiliating and often painfully invasive tests and experiments, including spinal taps. Deemed on uh, educated and impoverished sharecroppers, these men were lured in by free medical exams, hot meals, free treatment for minor injuries, rides to and from the hospital, and guaranteed burial stipends if they died of up to $50 to be paid to their survivors. The study also did occur, in, uh, excuse me, the study also did not occur in total secret, as several African American healthcare workers and educators associated with Tuskegee Institute assisted in the study. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they knew what was going on. Okay. But the end of the study in the summer of 1972, after a whistleblower exposed the story to national headlines, only 74 of the test subjects were still alive. From the original 399 infected men, 28 had died of syphilis. 100 others from related complications to syphilis. 40 of the men's wives had been infected, and an estimated 19 of their children were born with congenital syphilis. As a result of the case, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services established the Office for Human Research Protection, which is the OHRP, yep. uh, in 1974 to oversee clinical trials. Uh, the case also solidified the idea of African-Americans being uh, cast and used as human guinea pigs. An unfortunate side effect of both the truth of medical racism and the myth of syphilis injection, however, is it tangibly reinforced the ability to place trust in the medical system for some African-Americans who may not choose to seek out assistance and as a result, put themselves in danger. And, you know, you heard about this when the when the COVID jab came out. Remember? Yeah. You heard um, this a lot during COVID. People were talking about, oh, you know, maybe we, we, we can't trust the shot. Remember what the Tuskegee thing happened. And, and I had arguments with people because some people said, well, they injected syphilis. No, they didn't inject syphilis. Okay, they they tested people that already had it. Now, they they fucking never should have done this. Okay, I'm not saying it was the right thing, but yeah, it, 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 it is fucked up. But if you're if you're gonna be pissed off about something, at least get the facts right, right? Yeah, you know. So myth four, and that is that black people in early Jim Crow America didn't fight back. In other words, you know, some people wonder. During Jim Crow times in the South, when they everything was segregated, okay, how come black people didn't fight back? Well, they did, okay, but a lot of it is is brushed over in history. You don't hear about it, so it's a well known it, it's well known that African Americans used to face the constant threat of ritualistic public executions by white mobs, unpunished attacks by individuals, and police brutality in Jim Crow America. But how they responded to this is a myth that persists. In an effort to find lawful, um, lawful ways to address such events, some black people made legalistic appeals to convince police and civic leaders their rights and lives should be protected. Yet 
the crushing weight of a hostile criminal justice system and the rigidity of the color line often muted these petitions, leaving black people vulnerable to more mistreatment and murder. In the face of this violence, some African-Americans prepared themselves physically and psychologically for the, the abuse they expected, and they fought back. Distressed by public racial violence and unwilling to accept it, many adhered to emerging ideologies of outright rebellion, particularly after the turn of the 20th century and the emergence of the new Negro, that's in quotations, which was an urban, more educated and trained militarily a generation coming of age after World War I sought to secure themselves in the only ways left. Now, many believed in, as Marcus Garvey once said to a Harlem audience, that black folks would never get their freedom by praying for it. Marcus yeah. Garvey said that, okay? For the new Negroes, the comparative, comparatively tame efforts of groups like the NAACP were not urgent enough. Most notably, they defended themselves fiercely nationwide during the bloodshed of the Red Summer of 1919 when whites attacked blacks in multiple cities across the country. Whites may have initiated most race riots in the early Jim Crow era, but some also happened as black people rejected the limitations placed on their own lives, uh, leisure and labor, when they refused to fold under the weight of white supremacy. The magnitude of racial and state violence often came down upon black people who defended themselves from police and citizens, but that did not stop some from sparking personal and collective insurrections. So, you know, you, you often think of like the 1920s after World War II, uh, after World War I, excuse me, um, you know, the rise of the Ku Klux Klan in the 20s, the, the re-arise, the re because it had existed in the 1870s, okay, 1880s. And it came back strong in the 1920s after the war. And uh, you get the idea kind of the way it's depicted that, you know, black people just sat back and took it. That's not what happened. No, there was, yeah, a lot of people just fought back. No, it was such a weird time because it's like some of them fought back, some of them protested. And they would get locked up. They would get, you know, but there were a lot of people fighting, man, especially. Um, and there were a lot of white people fighting alongside them. Yeah. Um, you know, people think of the, the civil rights era in the 60s, and it's well known that white people were fighting alongside. But even during the Jim Crow era, there were. Okay. Uh, everything's not as, you know, black and white as it's depicted in the movies, you know? Nah, it's like, it's like, they would do, you know what? There was some white people that defend them. They, they were being killed too and hung. Yeah. Like, like, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now myth, myth number five, uh, and that is that crack in the ghetto was the largest drug crisis in the 1980s. It says the bodies <laughs> What's between that? Crack and heroin. Heroin. Well, also. crack and cra the comparison is going to be between crack and regular cocaine. Okay. Oh, I think I think I think it was crack and heroin killed probably more blacks than anything else. Right, but that's that's not the point of this. You'll see what I'm saying. Okay. okay. The bodies of people of color have a pernicious history of total exploitation and criminalization in the U.S. Like total war, total exploitation enlists and mobilizes the resources of mainstream society to obliterate the resources and infrastructure of the vulnerable. This has, been due, this has been done to black people through a robust prison industrial complex that feeds on their vilification, incarceration, disenfranchisement, and erasure. And the crack epidemic of the late 1980s and 90s is a clear example of this cycle. Even though more white people reported using crack more than black people in a 1991 National Institute on Drug Abuse survey, black people were sentenced for crack often eight times more than whites. Oh, yeah. The same thing like weed or some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, mean, meanwhile, there was a corresponding cocaine epidemic in white suburbs and college campuses Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I know, that, that compelled the U.S. to install harsher penalties for crack than cocaine. For example, in 1986, before the enactment of the federal mandatory minimum sentences for crack cocaine offenses, 
the average federal drug sentence for African-Americans was 11% higher than for whites. Four years later, so 1990, the average federal drug sentence for African-Americans were 49% higher. Even through the 90s and beyond the media uh, and supposed liberal allies like Hillary Clinton designated black children and teens as drug-dealing super predators to mostly white ones, okay, the criminalization of people of color during the crack epidemic made mainstream white Americans comfortable knowing that this was contained as a black-on-black problem. It also left white America unprepared to deal with the approach of the opioid epidemic, which is often a white-on-white crime, whose deal is evade prison. Okay, an example would be the Sackler family, which is the billionaire family behind OxyContin, who served no jail time, and Johnson & Johnson, which got a $107 million break in fines when it was found liable for marketing practices that led to thousands of overdose deaths. Unlike black Americans who were sent to prison, these white dealers retain their right to vote, lobby, and hold on to their wealth. Now, I also have to mention, okay, um, you know, the the article mentioned Hillary Clinton, okay, coming out. And that had to do with the crime bill of 1993, I believe, uh, which was mostly written by Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. okay. Joe Biden was, was was half of, you know, there was there was one or two other senators involved, but Joe Biden was the architect of that crime bill that sentenced uh, thousands of people to prison. OK, for long sentences for, you know, stupid stuff like weed. OK. And 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 other drug offenses. Uh, they gave them 20 years and throw away the key kind of thing. OK. And this went on for a while. And, um, you know, a, a, a generation was imprisoned of minorities. And, you know, that was reversed during the Trump administration. Yeah, but he them got released. Got released and he and he got rid of that law. OK, so you got to You know, it's, it's important to realize, you know, who who is who's fucking with you. OK. And and. You know, those people were in the early 1990s, the Clinton administration and and the others uh, definitely had a lot to do with that. I mean, I remember when she went on when she went on TV and she she called black people super predators. And I I was like about shit, maybe 24 at the time, 25. The fuck did I know about anything? Right. And I even went like, oh, shit. Did she just say that? (laughs) You know, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah, it was wild. All right, so the last myth, myth number six, is that all black people were enslaved until an emancipation. One of the biggest myths about the history of black people in America is that all were enslaved until the Emancipation Proclamation or Juneteenth Day. In reality, free black and black white biracial communities existed in such states as Louisiana, Maryland, Virginia, and Ohio. Uh, well before there was abolition. For example, Anthony Johnson named, uh, formerly named Antonio the Negro on the 1625 census. 1625 was listed on this document as a servant. By 1640, 15 years later, he and his wife owned land in Virginia, okay, and, and owned and managed land in Virginia. Okay, so there was a, a free slave, a free excuse me, not a slave, a free black in Virginia, even then. Some enslaved Africans were able to sell their labor or craftsmanship to others, thereby earning enough money to purchase their freedom. Such was the case for Richard Allen, who paid for his freedom in 1786 and co-founded the African Methodist Episcopal Church less than a decade later. After the American Revolutionary War, Robert Carter III committed the, uh, committed the largest, what's called a manumission, which is a, a freeing of slaves. Uh, that was the largest prior to Lincoln's emancipation. And this, wow. guy, freed, this guy freed 100 slaves on his own. Not, yeah, that's a lot. It is. Not all emancipations were large. Individuals or families were sometimes freed upon the death of their enslaver and his family. In other words, if, if 
plantation owner died, sometimes the, the slaves were freed. Uh, many escaped and lived free in north in the north or in Canada even. Finally, there were generations of children uh, born free blacks and biracial communities, many who never even knew slavery in certain areas, okay? Eventually, slave states established expulsion laws making residency there for free black people illegal. Some filed petitions to remain near enslaved family members while others moved west or north. And in the north, the northeast actually, many free blacks formed benevolent organizations such as the Free African Union Society for support and in some cases repatriation. If you remember Lincoln, he, he sent some slaves back to uh, what would be called Liberia in Africa. Okay, that was, uh, I think, right in the middle of the Civil War, right before it, okay, wow. like 1860, something like that. Okay, they they sent, uh, I think, several hundred. That They founded the country of Liberia, which is on the west coast of Africa. Okay, Liberia, wow. Liberia meaning like liberty, Liberia, you know, L-I-B-E-R. You know? Yeah. So the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863 and the announcement of emancipation in Texas two years later allowed millions of enslaved people to join the ranks of already free black Americans. So that's that. But, you know, wow, what a what what crazy six myth, man. Yeah. And, and I'm surprised nobody has really looked at that article a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, it's a two year old article. I imagine people read it. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, you look at the school systems, you look at what you learn in school. And I think that black people kind of get shafted in this country because they don't learn the history correctly. OK, you know, I remember in school, uh, you know, you, you learned a big, big chunk of history on slavery. But there were so many other things that were going on among African-Americans at the time that affected the whole country. And, and it's just not it's just not talked about. And I think what it does, you know, and I'm, I'm speaking as a white man. OK, I, I don't have black skin, but I mean, I think that. What it does is kind of it 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 brings down a, a, your confidence as a black person. It's like all we ever were were slaves, and now we're not, but we have this history. Well, that's not really true. Okay, there, there's a lot of accomplishments of of, of blacks, scientists, doctors, yeah, there lawyers. Was that were scientists back then, and yes. people that were like you know. And even doctors, lawyers, yes, it was right. a different time. Right, right. Look at, I mean, you know, Frederick Douglass and 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 some of these other black leaders that came. You know, Frederick Douglass was a slave, and and he, you know, taught himself. He educated himself, and then slavery ended, and he became like a, you know, a black leader. Okay, yeah. and you know, one of the, one of the greatest Americans that ever existed, as far as I'm concerned. You know, but you you don't learn a lot about him in school. And blacks, you know, we're all integrated. We're all learning the same thing in school. They're you know, not it's, it's like the whole thing. See, it's like, oh, you guys were slave. It's just a way to put people down morale. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's like I, I, something I, they use, and a lot of black people fall into that trap that they're like, yes. oh, it's like, no, dude. You know what? America got some of the most educated, richest black people or than any other place in the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the, the idea of them being somehow, you know, not good enough is 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 it's like ingrained, you know, and I understand, you know, black people, some some of them do pick up on this and they say, no, you know, this is our history and we have this and we have that. And I, I always you know, when I hear pushback against that, I'll I'll push back to that. You know, I'll be like, no, they're right. OK, Uh you know, it's it's something that uh, uh, one day hopefully can change in America. I, I think you know, it should change. Especially, you, you know, what's freaking going to be weird now that they made uh, we like recreational. How about all those poor guys you put in for like a joint or something for years in jail? Yeah, you're going to release those guys. I, I, yeah, I mean, you would think that you should do something if you're changing the laws. I I don't know. 
I mean, it's complicated because sometimes, not all the time, sometimes these people that are locked up for weed, they're locked up for other things too. Okay, so oh, yeah. it's, it's, you know, of course, anybody locked up on a minor drug charge, I think it's it's pretty ridiculous. But, you know, some people are also in there for assault and this and that. And, you know, of course, yeah. But you're right. I mean, uh, now that they've relaxed these rules, I think that they need to look at the prison system. But here's another thing. You talk about the prison system. Okay. Um, one thing that's never, I, I, I'd like to do a deeper dive on this. I'm not an expert on about what I'm about to say. But what I do know is that in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, there was a, you know, a push in the country to build prisons and to some of them were uh, privately run as well. Okay. And it just happens to coincide. I'm going to throw this out there. I hope I don't get in trouble. It also coincided with, you know, the idea of, uh, of, of hip hop. Okay. And what was being talked about in hip hop music the the uh the violence of uh gangster rap for instance okay happened at the same time as 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 prisons were being built so you had this culture that was arising that was promoting kind of like gangster lifestyle right you know what I'm saying? Crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that whole thing. And, and whole... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like bands like uh, NWA and yeah, well, Public Enemy. That's, was, that's Public Enemy was a little bit before, but yeah, you, you know. Try, that's pretty much why they put that H limit sticker on thing because of gangster rap. Oh, yeah, right. The Right. When they when they were, were uh, saying what's offensive and what's not offensive. Yeah, so but, you, there were records you can sell to kids that were under 17. And then there was the rap that even put them in other places, all the location from the other music. And you had to be over like 17 or something to be able to see it. But do you think there's any kind of correlation, what I'm saying, that the music, which was influencing people to act in a certain way, some did. Some, yeah, some, I mean, did, you know, and, and the rise of, of a larger prisoner, prisoner uh, industrial complex, okay, prison industrial complex at the same time. It's just it's just kind of like it's just a strange correlation that I don't know if it's if it's a coincidence or if there's something behind it. Uh, it just kind of it, it rings it rings alarm bells in my head. It has for a long time. And I just kind of wonder what that has to do with anything. I, if it does. I don't know. But I should do a deeper dive on that. Yeah, definitely deeper dive. Because you can go you can open the uh, Pandora's box, especially when you had like a few corporation by jails and. You know what? People that work in jail, they get paid like a dollar something, but that's like that's like a few bucks in commissary, even though it sounds like a dollar something. And like the like for people that been to jail, sometimes the top pay might be two bucks. It's crazy. Well, that's a lot of money in jail. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, people yeah. don't realize it, but you know what? They would even those jail guys get paid something. I wonder if there's a correlation between record companies and prisons. Who knows? You know, like like who owns who owns record company, you know, stock and this and that, and you know what I'm saying? Like, like if you had this culture arise that was promoting violence, because it was okay. A lot of a lot of the lyrics affected kids in a bad way. I'm not I'm not for censoring. Don't get me wrong, okay? But uh, it's just like I saw it, okay? I saw it with my own eyes, and I heard kids, and I knew people that were very influenced by the gangster rap and it became their lifestyle for a while and they ended oh, yeah. up in jail. Okay. I, I, I don't want to offend anybody by saying that. I, I, I it's just a fact, but, but, but look, look at Compton. That was one of the people that was like one of the places where yeah. people were learning how to rap to get out of the ghetto. But what were they rapping about? Killings. Yeah. If you look at, if you look at the history of rap, Okay, when it started, it was talking about what the, what their lives were like and what they were seeing every day. But there was like a positiveness to it. It was like we're gonna fix things. We're gonna get better. It's gonna we're gonna do this. So we're gonna make our lives better. 
when gangster rap came along, it was celebrating the fact that you were a crackhead or you were fucked up or you, you stealing cars or this and that. Okay. You celebrated it. And, and I felt that that affected people. And then, you know, with, with the rise of, of more prisons at the same time, very strange. You know what I mean? That, that, that you saw that, you know, and yeah, then you had they, this. But they, were, they didn't promote crackhead. What they were promoting was the sale of drugs. Well, that's what I mean. Not doing crack, selling Not crack. doing, but yeah. they were promoting that. Yeah, that's, that's what I kind of mean. Yeah. That is in the street corner, this and that. And it was something that they, you know what, it's like they sang what they knew. That's the problem was that some of them knew a lot of violence, a lot of poverty. What else do you what else do you say? There was a there was a nihilism to it that didn't exist in rap before. And then out of nowhere you get a guy like MC Hammer. And then after MC Hammer's career was over, he turned into gangster rap, but he wasn't real. No, no one bought no one bought that, man. Nobody bought that. I remember when he tried to do that. Yeah. You know, but look, I mean it made it made millions and millions of dollars for people. And anytime that happens, you can't stop it. You know what I mean? Any, you know, you, anytime that happens in and music you know world, the or, funny thing, and the people probably running all these group were probably a nice little white guy. <laughs> yeah, usually was. Usually it was amazing, was. amazing. I know. All right, Rob. So that's all I got today for you, and that is the end of our celebration of Black History Month of 2023. I think it was excellent because, uh, you know what I was going to bring up? We talked about um, Sonny Rollins. Uh-huh. And he's a guy that, think about it, he's a fantastic musician that grew in that time where, you know, you black people didn't go somewhere. He had a wonderful career. He did. And so did Sam Cooke. We talked about Sam, Sam Cooke as Cook, well. Man, you know, yeah. so, you know what? It's a weird, yeah, they had this problem. These are, these are, these are heroes within within the black community that should be uplifted yeah and i'm surprised people don't set up yeah well you know it's it's easy it's easy to uplift the bad guys you know what i mean yeah i guess so i guess you're right but mike another ex uh excellent episode of conspiracy 420 episode um this one is 91 and it's the final episode of black history collection um, we do this every year. We do uh, two rock show and two conspiracy. We talk about certain conspiracy or certain doing um, black that they uh, they show like something and some, you know, that they did something doing doing it. Just not sit around and wait for something. They went and grabbed it by the balls and <laughs> went out there and did stuff, you know? Yeah, somebody very influential or, you know, like yeah. that. And, and I'm surprised that, you know what, that they don't do that more. Like, during Black history, they do do that. They celebrate the life of people that they go out there and did stuff during that time. Right. But, you know, that's one month out of the year. Okay. But they only started doing that, like, the last six, seven years. Because before, they never really did that. Well, Black History Month has been around for a while now. It's... No, it's been around. But I mean, putting up leaders, like, they show a lot more people that have stories yeah, back I, I then. Think, I, think people, I think people are a little more conscious of things like that. Um, I, 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 It's not a bad thing at all. I think it's, it's, it's a, a good thing. thing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. It just needs to, it needs to take hold, you know, in that community. Yeah. All right, Mike. So, how can people reach you? Reach, uh, reach you if they need to uh, drop you some lines. So, okay, I'm uh, I'm on Facebook under Rocko Mike. Rocko Mike. You can find me on the Rock Show Podcast group page on Facebook as well. Uh, if you want to find me on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Rocker Mike two one two. Rocker Mike two one two. Everywhere else, I'm on the Rocker Mike. You could find me on Parlor, MeWe, Clout Hub, Getter, Truth Social. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting one, but all on uh, all on the Rocker Mike. If you just Google that, you'll find me. How about you, and Rob? If you, and if you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or the um, send an email to the um, uh, Getting Lumped Up uh, website. Um, that you can find. And another thing, if you want to uh, listen to any of these uh, audio show, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us Pandora. on Anchor, Apple, Google uh, Podcasts, yep. anywhere, any anywhere that um 
you can get your audio. We're on that platform, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and the list go on and on. So um, another thing, if you like what you uh, hear, you can always uh, donate a few bucks so we can do some research, get some beers, and have a good time. Beers is important. Beers are important for us. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, happy Black History Month. And we move on to March, uh, where we will have a lot more shows, a lot more rock shows, and a lot more um, conspiracy show. And don't forget uh, the Son of Sam Chronicles. We're still doing that. Son of, yeah, the Son of Sam Chronicles. So we need to do one of those soon. Yep. And um, and also uh, the conspiracy ticket. We're going to do a lot of um, ancient uh, civilization that disappear. Um, and I think we need to do like a, a bigger uh, dive on um, a Chapman, Mark David Chapman, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Because I think just talking about him opened a weird Pandora box. Yeah, yeah, that did that time when we were talking about him. On and, and, and I still say that picture. We need to find out who the hell to, took that picture of uh, yeah. him before. Right, of John Lennon and him when he was signing the uh, the autograph. Yeah. It's very, very freaking crazy. I know. All right, everybody. Right. Thank you for watching Conspiracy 420. And what do we always say? Don't get drunk. Get lumped up. We'll see you next week. Take care, people.